and welcome to You Irons, the West Ham podcast from the good people at The Athletic. I'm Sam Delaney. Thanks for joining me. As always, I am joined by Rashane Thomas from The Athletic, their West Ham correspondent. How are you doing, Rashane? I'm all good, Sam, yourself? I'm well, thanks, mate. Um, so what have you got in the pipeline? What have you been writing about this week? Uh, this week, there's an interview on a site with uh, former midfielder Antonio uh, Nocerino, who was at West Ham for mm. six months, so... He spoke well about his time. He said Allegri used to watch him at our West Ham games all the time as well. Yeah, so yeah, he spoke really well about that, so check that out. Also another uh, piece on the site, a young player called Daniel Chesters, really good player. One of the top talents in the academy. And West Ham are trying to tie him down to a new deal. So that's one to check out for. And also this week is Mental Health Awareness Week. So I have a piece on Katie Shepherd, who sadly passed away in 2014. So that's one to look out for as well. All right, good stuff. Well, all that stuff is on The Athletic. And by the way, you can sign up now for more great content. All of Roshane's articles on West Ham and plenty more besides. There's only seven days left to take advantage of our 90-day free trial, though. So go to theathletic.com slash West Ham pod and give it a go. You won't look back, believe me. All right, let's crack on with today's show. Uh, we've got two special guests today. We're going to talk a bit about the protest against the board, which was gathering so much momentum before lockdown happened. Um, so we are joined, I'm delighted to say, by Andy Byrne from Hammers United, uh, the organisation who were uh, heading up that campaign, and by our old mate Phil Whelans from the Stop Hammer Time podcast. Welcome, everyone. Uh, it's tremendous to have uh, the gang together. Um, Andy, let's start with you first. Um, the, the campaign was uh, making really good progress, really good impact. Um, and then this all happened. So how has it interrupted specifically uh, the campaign that you've been organised over these last few months? Well, I think the, the campaign that we that we found ourselves putting together was all about numbers of people coming together. Um and obviously in the current situation, the one thing you can't do is get numbers of people coming together. Um, where where we found that we were getting media coverage and we were getting media interest, it was all centred around um, the size of the events that we were able to organise um, and the, the profile of the events that we were able to organise. So, you know, right now you can't, you can't organise anything of any size um, and you can't attach anything to any game, so you can't get a profile to it. Um, so, so really, it's put it's put everything that we were doing um, and everything that we were in the middle of planning on hold. Um, and and at the minute, that's the way that it that it should be, and that's the way that it has to be. You know, there are other things that people need to um, need to be concentrating on right now. Uh, there are a lot of other aspects of people's life that they need to be dealing with that they didn't think they'd be dealing with at this point in time, and and you know, other things are more important. Now's not the time to uh, to make football or you know, Gold Brady and Sullivan uh, front and center in terms of the issues in in people's lives. And it, it is a it is a reprieve, but it, it that's that's what it is, and that's all it is. Um, and the the feeling that the club runs runs very deep on this particular issue, and people's connection with the club and people's passion for the club are are not gonna not gonna disappear. And people's feeling about this particular issue is not gonna disappear. So when when the time is right and when when everything else is resolved and when life resumes some kind of semblance of normality again then people will be will be ready and raring to go and, and we'll pick up from where we left off and i think in a way the um the the reprieve you know the the, the break for the board has has been a break for hammers united as well um because 
we're not a protest movement per se. Um, we're a supporters association. And so as much as protest was um, front and centre for us before this uh, pandemic came along, it's it's not the only thing that, that Hammers United are about. Um, you know, the issue of the moment and the issue to resolve first and foremost is the people that run our club and to make sure that they leave our club. Um, but there are there are other things that we need to think about as a supporters group. Um, one of those being the, the way forward after they leave. And so, you know, in terms of as much as it is a break um, and respite for, for Gold, Brady and Sullivan, it's a break for Hammers United from from having the, the constant um, organisational tasks needed to keep the protest up and running. And it gives us some thinking space and some time to, to talk and time to reflect and time to plan ahead. Let's just get a, a bit of clarity on it, because, uh, you know, on when you talk about you know, the board, the, the current director is leaving and then the plan beyond that. I think that you've done a really um, good job, particularly over the last six months, of gently steering opinion amongst the fans, you know, en masse behind that objective. But, you know, obviously you can't just ask for a board who own the club to leave. So what do you think the most realistic end game is here? Are you trying to encourage them to open their minds up more to potential buyers of the club? Are you, um, as a, you know, as a, is the second best thing that they continue to own the club, but step away and put other management in charge? What, what for you are the best scenarios? I think you're right in what you're saying that um, to get people on board uh, and to get, you know, mass direction, you need a very simple message. Um, and uh, again, I agree with what you say in terms of the fact that we've we, we didn't start out with that message of GSBL. Um, we started out trying to engage with the club and trying to trying to meet the um, DCMS guidelines and the, the you know supporter engagement guidelines that are put forward by the FSA. That was our, our approach at first. Um, but I think, yes, the recent success of uh, the protests and the fact that we've been able to get so many people behind those protests has come about through the simplicity of the message. Um, a, a simple strap line, a very simple you know message that people can remember of GSB out. Um, and that, that, that will still remain... Um, at the heart of what we try to achieve when we go back to protesting. But to come on to your second point, you can't, um, that can't be it. You know, it can't be GSB out full stop. There needs to be thinking beyond that. And that is where there are a number of options and where, um, you know, the message may get somewhat um, diluted or, or perhaps, you know, starts to, you start to filter in different opinions as to where this should go. So I think, We've got to a place now where no one really gets in touch with Hammers United and says, these people are fantastic. We love them at our club. We think they've done a brilliant job. We can't believe you want them to leave. No one really gets in touch with us and says that. What we're up against, uh, you know, I say up against, but what the, the question that comes our way most often is really the question that you've raised, which is, well, okay, we understand that they're not great. We agree with you that it's probably going to be for the best if they leave. But what then? What you know? What are you suggesting would take their place? Um, so I think I think leaving I think them leaving is a must, and then the details of that would be like you say, possibly putting the club up for sale. 
Um, I mean, Karen Brady, her her position could you know her her position could be terminated with immediate effect. We could get a director of football in. But as for as for Golden Sullivan, it would yeah involve putting the club up for sale and finding finding new owners. If you look at the situation at Newcastle, we have to be very cautious, don't we, about what we wish for because you know if we make the situation for um, Golden Sullivan so uncomfortable at the club that you know they they think do you know what we let's just take take an offer. You know, that leaves us, as it has done at Newcastle, very vulnerable to approaches from uh, the kind of people we've seen coming in to football all over the world with big money that might have, you know, say what you like about Sullivan and Gold, you know, that they have a connection to the club. You know, some people think that they might exaggerate that or bang on about it a bit too much, you know, but they do at least understand the club. You know, look at the situation Newcastle fans are in now. It's out the frying pan into the fire. Um, what are your fears about that and how do we guard against it? Well, this is something that we've discussed quite a lot um, at Hammers United. Um, and it's something that we've been afforded the time to really discuss in the last couple of months. Um, and we've seen in football clubs, as you've as you've alluded to, go from, from bad owner to bad owner. And, you know, West Ham has its own history of, of bad owners. I, I can remember... Um, when I first started going to West Ham, being being part of the the brown out campaign, um, I can remember staying behind after it might have been Southampton at home, something like that, a night game, and we were all gathered outside the um, gathered outside the West Stand at Upton Park. So it's not you know um, we're we're not in a unique situation, and there's you know there's a multitude of examples of of bad owner to bad owner and clubs being destroyed ac- across the league. So. I think it, we we've started to think a little bit uh, philosophically about this at Hammers United, and so the the way we feel at the minute is that football has, through its popularity, has created its own its own problem. So um, football is hugely popular, and the fact that it's hugely popular and the fact that it's so unique as a game it has you know such euphoria within the game it has such uh, connections for people to their local area it has such a sense of community the fact that it is so popular has led to the fact that you know it's an it's a interesting it's a it's an appealing investment because its popularity can be exploited um so you've got a difficult situation with football whereby um, there is so much money in the game now that you can't take money out of the equation. So you can't live in that idealistic world where you say, right, we just want owners who purely do everything for the good of the fans. Never mind about the money. We don't care about that. You can't say that. So go on. Yeah, you're right. It's very attractive. Uh, the Premier League is is abundant with money and opportunity. Our club, in particular, has this wonderful situation with the with the stadium. Why hasn't anyone come in for this club? Why, you know, it, 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 I don't understand it. I mean, look at this club. It's right slap bang in the centre of London. It's got fans. It's got heritage. It's in the Premier League. I think first of all, we don't know. We don't know for a fact that that nobody has come in. Um, but I think. <sighs> When you talk to people who um, who work at the club, they do talk about it not necessarily being a particularly productive and happy uh, and all and all's well culture at the club. And I don't know, you know, I don't know how attractive that is for an investor in its current state. And I also don't know what 
Gold and Sullivan are asking for the club. I mean, they have, you know, they have kind of put out some some relatively ridiculous valuations of the club in the past. Um, and I also don't know whether somebody would come forward for something that's not for sale. But to come back to what I was talking about, I don't think you can have that idealistic, perfect ideal of fans owning and running and being involved in everything. Because in the modern day football, you do need some sort of rich investor. It's, you know, it's the way the game's gone. It's such a lucrative game. And to keep up, you need money to be put into the club. So where we see Hammers United and where we see the fans is creating some form of engagement and some form of decision ownership that will mean that whoever does come in, um, you know, and this would continue beyond the next owner and the next owner, whoever does come in, you've got things in place that safeguard fans place at the table, if you like, with that board and fans influence over certain decisions that are made at the the club. And I think that has to sit with the fans because those are the people that you can rely on to make those decisions with the best interests of the club and the community at heart. Andy, about two months ago, I spoke to you about fan engagement for a piece in The Athletic. Mm -hmm. Uh, You mentioned, you know, the the 50 plus one model in Germany. Uh, for listeners who don't know what that is, it's where it's where it ensures that club's members retain the majority of their voting right. And um, you also mentioned you've been in discussion with other clubs, just like asking for feedback. So, what's the dialogue been so far? Um, so so far, we're very much in the uh, exploratory phase, where I'm trying to speak to as many people um, outside of Hammers United as I can to to get context, to get advice, to get background experience, to see uh, what people have investigated before, what's been done before, to try and find out what would work for us um, here, here at Hammers United and what might work in the, in the UK uh, in general. So I think, the, I think what it comes down to is that um, fans and true representations of fans need to be involved in some way, shape or form in the decisions that affect fans. Now, the 50 plus one model allows fans in Germany to have that effect. Um, having investigated that, I don't think it would be something that would, that, I don't think we could mirror that in the UK just because of the way that that um, is kind of embroidered with the culture in Germany as a whole and the way that that reflects some of how other businesses in Germany are set up um, and how some of their legislation is set up as a whole to allow that 50 plus one model to work. But the outcome of the 50 plus one model is the important thing. So the outcome of the 50 plus one model is essentially that fans have ownership over certain decisions. So the um, the heart and soul of a club still sits in certain aspects of the club, still sit within the community. And that's really, we, we've got to find a um, an equation we've got to find a solution that works in England to ensure that the game is not completely taken away from the community that it is supposed to sit with you know you, you pick any pick any topic anything you know you could say VAR for example on a, on a much wider scale um, that is something that if you look at it in a pure money sense it's going to make the right decisions for the game and make sure that people don't lose their livelihoods because of a referee making a wrong decision but you look at it from the fans point of view and you have to understand that that euphoric moment of a goal being scored is one of the things that is so special about football and one of the things that you don't get in pretty much any other sport in the world 
So to come in with a purely business point of view on football and say, right, VAR is the right thing to do because of a money point of view, you can't make those decisions in football on a purely business stance. You have to have somebody sitting there at the table from a fan's point of view saying, but hold on a minute, the reason this game is so special is its connection to the fans. Phil, uh, what do you make of this? What do your listeners, obviously, you, you know, you host the Stop Hammer Time podcast been going for a long time i mean what what's you what, what's been your view on on all of this um yeah i mean uh, certainly on the facebook page it goes with the podcast you you uh hear people um obviously uh uh sort of angry at sullivan and gold and and serially um when we uh, screw up uh, inevitably again once with with billich we narrowly escaped relegation and then things went wrong with pellegrini um there's the cry that the the manager is not getting enough backing from from the board and quite often um you know i don't know what that looks like uh, it seems that they they do release money to buy players and uh we buy you know we buy players that sort of don't work out or uh go back um and i'm sort of reminded of when um i presume cb holdings sold the club to eventually um Sullivan and Gold, you know, we were desperate, or a lot of people were desperate. There didn't seem to be many people in the frame. We were desperate for Tony Fernandez to buy it. Tony Fernandez, he's a West Ham fan. Let's get Tony Fernandez in. Well, that doesn't look like it's gone particularly well at QPR. I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not really defending Sullivan and Gold, but I don't know who's out there that would want the club. And I'm not, I don't know how much of a, you know, an attractive, profitable investment a football club is. It's often seems to be a kind of you know vanity vanity projects probably the wrong word but a sort of glamour project for someone with a hell of a lot of money like you know that that unfortunate Leicester City chairman or or Vincent Tan or or somebody you know Ashley or somebody like that it's um football clubs can't expand you can't open another branch of Manchester United in Birmingham or so so it's not a traditional profitable business that can just expand and expand so you reach Jeff Bezos levels of wealth you know it's it's often people that are already wealthy that come in and you know buy a football club as a kind of expensive you know hobby or sort of subudia set so I don't know I don't know who's out there I mean obviously you know we've said a couple of times in this discussion uh, the important thing is to get them out and then take it from there. Well, you, you're not allowed to do that. You can't do that. You have to sell it to someone. It's got to be sold to someone. It can't just not have any owners for six months because b quite complex business law and companies have. It would exist in a, in a vortex. Yeah, you can't, you, you know, you're not allowed to have that. That's how clubs go into administration is when nobody wants them and, you know... Uh, their owners are driven out you, you just we can't have that so it so I don't know I don't know who's out there it did seem when we moved to the new stadium that the with all the rebranding with London on the badge and it's uh the um the the proximity to the city being sort of put into relief by the owners that Gold Sullivan and Brady were positioning it to maybe either sell it or get a sort of you know, controlling interest stakeholder in to really put some money into the club because, you know, as we've said before, it, th there is something attractive about the notion of West Ham, whether that um, translates into profitability. I don't know. I don't know enough about the business of football, to be honest. But, but um, you know, it's heritage and 
more Peters and Hurst and stuff seemed to be stuff that was coming to the fore and that moving into this new stadium was going to lead us to, um, you know, what was called the next level. So I, I really don't know. And I think my overall position is, is are they making an effort to sell it and who wants to buy it? We'll wait and see. Maybe this time next year will be Red Bull West Ham. Um, yeah. Let's move on and talk about the, the, the season that, that lies ahead of us. Um, and if it lies ahead of us, I mean, you know, there, there, we could sit here talking about the wrongs and rights, whether the season uh, should be completed, you know, in the shadow of COVID. Um, but let's talk about West Ham's position on this. Karen Brady, um, as I understand it, has, has said very clearly that she only wants to, the club to re-engage in the football season if relegation is taken off the table. Is that right, Rashane? Yes, that is correct, Sam. And um, I mean, <laughs> we're laughing now, but the way I see it is also what to consider is if it's decided by weighted home and away form, it has West Ham in the bottom three. That's the worst case scenario for West yeah. Ham. So that's even more reason why she doesn't. And, want and the alternative to, uh... to that is just an average points per game, right? Yeah, but yeah just but, average points per but, game. But but surely if they, yeah, it would. It is. Let's be honest here. Let's forget we're West Ham fans with vested interest. Of course, it's fairer to weight the points home and away. Right, and that's what they're doing in League Two, because it's the fair thing to do. Yeah, yeah, it's the fair thing to do, and I'd imagine also gives an accurate, you know, position of where teams would have finished if we were to continue any part of this pandemic. So, so yes, yeah, so it'd be interesting to see what happens. But yeah, as you mentioned, Karen Brady won't be happy <laughs> if uh, West Ham do go down if they decided that way. Doesn't reflect well on the club, does it? Taking that position, guys, Phil? No, not really. No. Um, uh, yeah, it's also a shame because we have just had a sort of managerial change and we're kind of looking to, forward to that run-in of what looks like slightly easier games. So, um, you know, it's a sort of how easy a game is is something that's difficult to sort of factor in in any sort of empirical way. But it would be a shame if we, if by some kind of waiting system we did, you know, heaven forbid, get relegated. It, that does seem a shame because we've had all our difficult games in that run and we're just about to have a kind of a last nine games that, or whatever it is, uh, that were a little easier. Yeah, but, you know, if we forget about that points thing and we assume, which I think looks increasingly likely with players back in training, that the season will go ahead. Andy, Cameron Brady is still saying that, yeah, we will play these final games, but we don't want to have the co the consequences of any of the outcomes. Right, we don't want to get relegated. Therefore, for a club in our position, where's our motivation to even try our best against the clubs who are going for Champions League places, for example? I mean, it's it's a mad thing to suggest, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. I don't I don't think you can say, oh well, we'll play, um, but only if we don't lose. And oh, and by, and by the way, if we do lose, it doesn't count. Um, I, I, it's abs it's absolutely ridiculous. What what are you going to say? Well, Liverpool will say they'll play on, but um, you know if they do end up winning it, they don't get given the title. And whoever qualifies for Champions League, well, that you know, no, they're not going to qualify. I mean, where where does that end? You've got you've got to decide these things one way or another. Um, and you know, there's there's people, rightly so, waiting for the championship to get promoted. So someone has to get relegated. I'm not, but of course, I'm not suggesting that I want it to be West Ham. But you you can't have clubs saying, "Oh, fine, we'll play on, we'll, we'll finish the season, but it's all going to be null and void anyway." Um, I mean, uh, it's, the it's sense ridiculous. of entitlement of a club like West Ham. Look, let's be honest, right? West Ham are a yo-yo club, right? We we are. 
And, you know, you, you enter into every season with the possibility of being relegated. That's what you accept by taking part in the first place, right? <laughs> Plus, I don't want us to be relegated. But at the same time, I'm embarrassed that as a club, all, all of us sat here, right, have gone through the hellish experience of relegation before. And we probably will do again. And I like to think that we're more hardened to it than fans of other clubs. And it's like, listen, we'll play the games. It's not ideal. But if we go down, we go down. That's the way it is. We'll dust ourselves off. It's embarrassing to to say anything else, isn't it? I, I think that's what our owners do quite well, is continuously come out and embarrass the club. Um, with the, with the, you know, with a column in the Sun or their Twitter feed, or you know, demanding an apology from Sky, they are uh, um, perhaps you put it right, <laughs> you know, entitled in, 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 in people perhaps who, who think that certain certain rules of uh, of society and rules of football and rules of business and rules of fan engagement perhaps shouldn't apply to them. Phil, um, you know. At the moment, it hangs in the balance. I've, I've enjoyed seeing players return to training with their hair grown out, which makes them all look much older and much more like players of the 80s that we grew up with. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this, but a lot of lads have come back with m very ungroomed hairstyles um, and it's, it's aged them substantially. Have you seen any of that? I haven't seen that. No, no, I'd like to see that again. You should, that, you should you know, Google image yeah. it, mate. Um, I can yeah. point you towards... Roberto Firmino and Mane at Liverpool, who both look like men in their 40s now. Um, which, uh, you know, as a man in my 40s, it's pleasing for me to see. Yeah. Uh, footballers used to be like that, didn't they? Sort of Ruddock yeah. and uh, Irwin and Pallister. All of those sort of Man U players looked like men in their in the, yeah, 40s and 50s. And in fact, they're kind yeah. of in their late 20s. Uh, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's a good look to go back to. Troy Deeney has uh, been banging the drum on behalf yeah, of Yeah, he doesn't want to go back, does he? Doesn't want to go back. Can you envisage a Premier League going forward without the involvement of Troy Deeney, Phil? It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Um, it is, yeah. I mean, in a way, for a certain, I think certain, you know, certain in certain countries, the perception of British football is very much uh, um, Troy Deeney based. He's seen as the kind of, you know, very much like, like. Um, I mean, he's going to be the Colin Kaepernick of, uh, for, everyone will know what Troy Deeney looks like. No one will, you know, there'll yeah. be American chat shows doing jokes about Troy Deeney and stuff because he'll be identified with uh, the heroic stand against um, the tyranny of having to play football. They'll say, what's the point of fo of football, of Premier League football, without a Troy Deeney? Without Troy Deeney, yeah. Rashane, you've got your ear to the ground on this sort of stuff. I mean, is there any doubts amongst, um, you know, the West Ham squad? Do you know what the players are thinking? Well, all the players have been fully cooperative with returning to uh, training. On, one, on Wednesday, Tuesday, rather, they returned to uh, small group training. So, yeah, everyone showed up, everyone was tested and everyone passed their tests. So they've been fully cooperative of, uh, you know, returning and getting the season up and running again. And are you, are you, do you know what the hair situation is with any of our boys? I saw a picture of Declan Rice. I mean, he could pass for being like a lead singer of a, of a band, of a rock band, the way his hair's looking these days. But, yeah, apart from that, everyone's looking a bit rough, as, as you mentioned before. And what do we think? Andy, you know, you're looking at the running, looking at where we were going with Moyes, I mean... It's... What what would be your hopes if we started playing again tomorrow in empty stadiums? I don't know if you watched Bundesliga at the weekend. I did. I found it quite enjoyable, to be honest. I wasn't that bothered about fans not being there. I mean, you know, 
the way things are at the London Stadium sometimes, maybe the players won't mind uh, be playing without, you know, fans in the stadium. I think it would be an advantage. I think our players are used, <laughs> are used to fans not being anywhere near them, aren't they? So uh, we've, we've been playing like that for, for a long time now. Um on a serious note, I before before um you know before the pandemic, I would have backed us just to avoid relegation. You know, maybe even goal difference. Um, and so I, I guess when we come back, all things will be will be equal for all clubs, won't they? So all clubs will be playing with no fans. All clubs will probably miss in a handful of players through through either something COVID related or through through a Troy Deeney situation, which I think is fair enough. Where he doesn't want to put you know he doesn't want to put his um his, his little one at, at risk. Um, and you know, as any other business would do, if a certain staff member says, "Look, I can't come in because because I'm shielding," it, it has to be the same in football, and that just has to go down as an injured player. So I think you know, all things will be equal when we come back, as as they were in a different world, but before we finish. So I say, prediction hasn't changed, and I'd say we will just avoid relegation. And obviously, if we're in the bottom three, we can't go down anyway. It's not allowed. <laughs> Phil, <laughs> what do you reckon? Are you are you confident if it all go, go if we go back to work? Yeah, I was looking forward to it. I thought we were starting to get somewhere. Those last couple of games, I know we lost them, but uh, we um, we played well in them. And I like the look of uh, Bowen. And I think he's got uh, that, you know, very attacking lineup in those last couple of games. Looked great. Um, I went to the away games, went to the Arsenal, uh, which we shouldn't have lost, really. Uh, and um, uh, Allaire, Antonio, Bowen and Fornals was quite a kind of formidable attacking force. So I was really looking forward to that run in the games. I thought it was going to be quite exciting, quite good. I don't know. I don't know whether we should. It's just getting so late now. I do sort of think, think we should write the season off. I mean, these games behind closed doors, it does feel a bit soulless and it, it feels like it's just, um, you know, for the money men, really. No, I love it. I love the idea of watching football in these weird stadiums and hearing the players <laughs> shout at each other. I just want to watch it. I'd rather they did something else, like, you know, that uh, the island from Love Island is not being used now because they're not going to do that. And they should send, like, a couple of players from each club to have a kind of Hunger Games survival sort of trial. and uh, Football Island. Uh, yeah, decide everything, decide everything like that. Do something different. Do... If we can't play football, do something different from football, you know. OK, well, let's wrap it up with this then. If we are to send two players to Football Island, as Phil suggests, to agree the outcome of the Premier League once and for all, um, who would be the players you'd send? Rishane, let's start with you. Who do you think would fare best in a survival Lord of the Flies type situation? I reckon definitely Ogbonna and Antonio. Obviously, Antonio's got, uh, you know, the personality, so I reckon... He... He has enough to survive, and he's got one who had the leadership skills. But you mean he wouldn't fall to pieces? Some of the lads would like fall to pieces mentally and emotionally quite quickly. Yeah, that certainly wouldn't be a odd one. So where am I to? Uh, Andy, oh, I think I'd be able to convince um, Julian Dix and Thomas Repka to put on the shirt again and send those two out there. Yeah, if you could send ex-players, that would be great. Is Thomas Repka still behind bars, though? That might be the only issue. He's out of prison. <laughs> okay, thank God. Thank God. And let's hope he stays out as well. Uh, Phil, I'm sure you'll echo those feelings. Um, who would be your nominations? I sort of think a combination. I think Fabian Bal Balbuena might yes. have the wherewithal to skin, <laughs> kill something and skin it. You know, kill it looks as if he may have done that before, yeah. Yeah, some kind of survival. If you want, I think you need a mixture of that. Uh, Balbuena's uh, uh, instincts to yeah kill, skin, uh, and 
a bit like the Martian. You want Matt Damon, you want Cresswell. I think Cresswell would science the shit out of it, like uh, Matt Damon did in, uh, is it the Martian? You'd have that kind of mixture of brains and brawn, and I think they'd survive together. Cresswell, uh, Cres so Cresswell and uh, Balbuena would be the ones I'd say. I, I think that's a good choice, and I, I also think Cresswell would be great for morale because he's a cheeky scouser, isn't he? He is, And yeah, so yeah. he's probably got lots of jokes, lots of banter, and you'll need that when you're stuck on the island. If the worst comes to the worst, and uh, they have to sacrifice one of themselves for the survival of both of them, I think Fabian Balbuena might kill and skin Cresswell. And uh, Cresswell will have lain his life down, like Oates did in, uh, when he went outside in the um, uh, Antarctic expedition. <laughs> Um, so he, so Cresswell would lay his life down so that Balbuena would succeed. Well, you've all missed, um, uh, I think, a, a quite obvious one in Pablo Zabaleta. The Argentinian grit, strength, bravery. I mean, mentally, I think he's rock solid. And um, I tell you who, uh, just if you, if you want to know who definitely I would not send, it would be Hilaire. I think Hilaire would completely collapse within moments of arriving on the island. I think he'd be in the <laughs> diary would, yeah. room, sobbing, yeah, sobbing, begging to be sent home. Um, I think it, it, it would just be a fucking disaster. So I'd send Zabaleta and I'd take a chance on the new lad, Jared Bowen, because he just seems so effervescent. He feels like the sort of lad who's not going to dwell on the bad situation they're in. He's just going to keep going forward and, and see what try to make the best of things, which is what you need. So it would be Zabs and Bowen for me. But I think every everyone who's been suggested has got their virtues. So um, well done, everyone. Thanks, chaps. Great to catch up. Let's hope that next time we all get together, there might be some actual football to be discussed. Who, who knows? Until then, thanks for listening. And remember, ladies and gents, there's only one Samasia Boo.